Hi everyone, thanks for listening. This next episode is a powerful testament of a survivor's journey. However, this episode does mention some period of intense violence and child abuse terminology. This is a self-care plug to those who may share similar experiences to listen at your own discretion. Thank you. If you are a victim of domestic violence or a family member or friend who is concerned about the safety of someone else, please don't hesitate to contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Advocates at the National Domestic Violence Hotline are available 24-7 to take your calls at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Advocates who are deaf are available Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time by video phone at 855-812-1001, instant messenger at Deaf Hotline, or email deafhelp at thehotline.org. For child abuse prevention or to report child abuse, please contact the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's 1-800-422-4453 to receive crisis intervention information and referrals to emergency social service and support resources. This hotline provides assistance in over 170 languages. All calls made to these national hotline resources mentioned are confidential. Episodes air every Tuesday. This podcast is now available on several listening apps, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So be sure to listen in and subscribe. You can now follow You Are Resilient Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated on episodes to come. Thanks for tuning in. Hi there, and welcome to You Are Resilient Podcast. I'm your host, Jaquela. Join me as we chat with a new guest each week, and they share their personal stories of resilience. We talk about everything from relationships to wellness and spirituality. Are you ready? Okay, let's get started. So hi, Ms. Shawana. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Yourself? Doing well. So last time we spoke, I just uh, remember last time we spoke, you actually just uh, successfully Defended your dissertation, is that correct? Correct. So you're now Dr. Shawanda Moore. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How does that feel? It feels it feels great. It feels great. I'm happy it's over with and I'm ready to move forward. Mm-hmm. Can you go ahead and um, introduce to our audience um, what it is that you do and what you got your degree in? Okay, well, my degree is in public policy and administration, and it falls underneath the category of criminal justice. Um, I'm currently uh, managing my own business, it's Royal Products and Services, and we do a lot of financial assistance as it relates to business startups, tax preparation, financial advising, uh, assisting with bankruptcies, and starting IRAs. Okay, cool. Well, congratulations again. That's awesome that you um, were able to successfully defend that. All right, so last time we spoke, you know, we talked a lot about how, um, you know, you overcame a lot of challenges in your life and how you had to, you know, change your mindset and your inner being to kind of get out of that um, victim mentality into a victor mentality. And I really appreciated you um, sharing that with me because you've been through a lot, but you've overcome a lot as well. So could you go ahead and kind yeah. of just give us um, a little bit of backstory about who Shawanda is, where you came from, and, and how that has made who you are today? Well, I came from a uh, poverty uh, area of life. I was born and raised in the projects um, by my grandparents because my mother was arrested and engaged in some 
other activities that um wouldn't in the best interest for her to raise us, me and my sister, as kids. Uh, due to that, not due to not being raised by my actual mother and receiving that motherly love that I need, I feel like I received secondary love from my grandmother. I appreciate it, you know, because she was raising her own kids and it also raising us as her grandkids. Uh, it, it did play a lot of psychological roles in my life that um, eventually caused depression and caused me to do um, some things that I now regret, if, mm -hmm. if that if that makes sense. What were those things, if you don't mind? Like, um, I became a, a, a teenage mother at the age of 16 because I was looking for that love from my actual parents. And uh, it was not available because my mom was incarcerated and incarcerated, and my father uh, was basically pushed out of our lives for whatever reason, um, whatever issues he had between my family and himself. You know, they basically like kept him away from us, mm -hmm. so I didn't have any contact with my father until after I became pregnant. Mm. That must have been really tough. Can you kind of describe what was going on at the time? You know, my grandmother, we didn't, I, I didn't receive the kind of love that I was seeking mm -hmm. um, because nothing was rewarded for me. You know, yes, she provided a shelter and food and those things, you know, but I wasn't receiving the attention I needed growing up. If I came home with a 4.0 GPA, it wasn't celebrated. It wasn't oh, okay. rewarded. It wasn't a congratulation. It wasn't a good job. You know, it, the day just went on. But to me, I was excited, like, okay, well, I'm keeping up good grades. You know, I'm doing the right things in school. So, you know, I was looking for some type of recognition for that mm -hmm. and didn't receive it. And then even when um, knowing that my grandmother was receiving welfare and child support from my father and, you know, the the fast money my mom was making before she went to jail and after she came home when she was constantly paying, you know, my grandmother to raise us, you know, I couldn't engage in cheerleading and band because my grandmother them you know, they were old school and felt like anything after dog, you know, it wasn't gonna allow me to do it. So all those things caused me to feel a certain type of way because my friends were like, oh, we're going to practice at the school or, hey, we're going to skating this weekend. Can you come out? Or, I'm having a party. And, you know, even up until the age of 14 and 15, I wasn't allowed to engage in um, those activities. Mm. How did that feel? How were you able to kind of, um, I guess, overcome that situation in itself? Because I can imagine how isolating that would feel, you know, that you can't participate with your peers. What were some things you did to kind of cope with that? It was depressing, and I became rebellious, you know, um, during my teenage years to where, you know, I'm looking at everybody doing stuff, and even for the school, I guess extracurricular activities. I couldn't be in the the um, the newspaper club or anything that required me to stay at the school. Now, I did have some teachers that allowed me to contribute to things during the school day, but I couldn't attend you know, none of the evening, evening events like the, the talent show or the um, senior night, you know, for the other classes to be able to let them put a face to my name. If I written an article or participated in a, in a club, you know, it was like I didn't get to celebrate that. I just contributed because I wanted to be important and I wanted to play a role in, you know, my high school years. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. So... 
I guess in the midst of all of that, you said you, you were rebellious in some ways, too. What were some other things going on around that time period? Well, like uh, dating guys was like off limits. So I couldn't say, oh, hey, I'm 15. I have a crush, you know, or hey, a guy couldn't call the phone and say, you know, what it was to study, talk, laugh, or joke. I couldn't receive phone calls from the opposite sex, you know, even though, you know, the, my, my grandparents were sitting right there. It just, you know, they were real old-fashioned, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I do understand that, you know, they, they did the best they can to try to protect me from a lot of things that I see now, but as a child and a teenager, you know, you, you don't understand that. Mm-hmm. So it caused me to start looking for love, you know, and, and looking for something that will allow me to get attention. So I, you know, I started dating anyhow at 16 and because my grandparents never kept anything real they always told me that um a woman get pregnant from swallowing uh, watermelon seeds so they didn't talk to me about sex uh you know the birds and the bees they just kept everything as a secret so when i got involved in this relationship it's like i was green i was you know weaker and the guy kind of knew that because he was more street smart you know and i was sort of green is what they call it. Mm-hmm. You're basically just trying to learn life on your own and you just got taken advantage of by the wrong people is what, it, is what I'm hearing you say, if that's correct. Um, yes. Okay, so after the um, the pregnancy, you know, the guy was saying that, you know, it wasn't his baby. You know, his mom backed him up on it, you know, for at least two, three years. So I was basically uh, a teenage parent on my own trying to figure things out. You know, my grand, my grandmother did, you know, her best to try to assist me in those areas as well. But later, maybe around the age of 18, mm-hmm. um, my senior year, I started dating a, a different guy, and, and he was very controlling and abusive. You know, he would follow me to school. You know, um, he was phys- physically aggressive, and he was he was verbally aggressive in the beginning. But, again, because I'm green and I don't know much about what's going on, you know, I assumed that it was love. So he like, oh, no, you can't go there. You can't go, go here. And it kind of reminded me of my childhood. Like, you know, hey, I'm 18. I, you know, mm-hmm. I can't go here and I can't go there. You know, like, I'm confused, you know. So I was I was in a rush to get out of the house with my grandparents only to move in with a guy, you know, at a young age. And now I'm still being under this control thing. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it caused him to to become more aggressive and more abusive. So he did break my jaw and fracture my ribs mm-hmm. and um, some other things. And I always wonder, like, why, you know, I'm like, what, well, I'm not pretty. Um, I don't deserve love. Like, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on, you know, with me at that time, you know, why I couldn't find someone that would give me the love again that I was searching for at the time. You know, I still didn't get it. That's terrible. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. How were you coping? How were you getting through that situation? Well, I I hit it. You know, I hit the abuse and, you know, I didn't really tell people what I was going through. And because my family was from, like, one part of the city and hands was from another, it was kind of easy. So when I had the, the broken jaw, his older sister took me to the hospital you know, I didn't go to school for those days until, you know, everything healed and the fracture ribs. You know, I, I hid it because I was embarrassed. And I, you know, I knew if I told my family, there was going to be like a wall. 
So I'm like, I never want anybody to get to get hurt. Didn't want anybody to get arrested because you know there's two outcomes on both ends: one hurt, one arrested. You know, so I'm like, I don't want to bring that much attention to it. So I contact my uncle and I didn't tell him, you know, like exactly what was going on. But I said, I feel low. You know, I feel suicidal. I feel like, you know, I'm not in touch with who I am and who I'm, I'm meant to be. I'm going through some things in my life that don't feel good. And so my uncle was deep, deeply rooted into his Bible. So, you know, he, he, he told me to read some scripture and some verses, you know, and, um, and to pray, you know, and some nights he'll pray with me. And so exactly as I reached out to develop an understanding of God, you know, it was more of an ease, you know, and I, I became more. So eventually I, I ran into one of my friends from high school, because by this time I was 20-something in college, and I told her what was going on. And her mom was like, you're welcome to stay with us. You know, you got to get out of this situation because, you know, it, it's not going to end up good. So, uh, again, it was on the other side of town where my family was from, so I ended up moving in with them, you know, for a while. That's how I kind of escaped the, the, um, the, the um, domestic violence, you know. However, during that time, he still was searching and looking for me and showing up at the college campus and waiting outside so I had to drop out of school for a semester or two just to avoid him. Because wow. even when calling the police back then, you know, domestic violence wasn't as serious as it is now. Mm-hmm. They would just say, hey, take a walk, calm down, come back, you know, and that was pretty pretty much it. Wow. Wow. That's that's tough. That's a lot to go through. And then on top of it, you know, you're not getting the support you need from the the, you know, justice system. But it's great that you had that support system at home to kind of, Get you away from that situation. Um, right. I forgot to mention, my mom did pass down my high school years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, feeling lost and confused and trying to look for this love from this guy that was telling me he loved me, you know, and, you know, oh, I want to help you and I want to be there for you. But then, you know, on his terms, it, it's a domestic dispute. Mm-hmm. That's just some tough stuff. And you are just a very strong woman to have gone through that and just survived through that. So I, I commend you for yes, it. Yes, yes. It's good to talk about because, you know, we're going to talk more about how um, you overcame those things and, and it led you to where you are now. Yes, I'm sorry. Not that I'd be jumping around. So. No worries. So, that's fine. Um, <laughs> when I was living with my grandparents uh, at the age of, in between 15, 16, I, I can't really recall, um, they were they were so strict to where like you know be inside before the street lights come on. So you know I followed the rules. You know I didn't care for them, but I was happy to say, well at least I get two three hours to see you know my friends or whatever you know after school. So this particular day the neighbor had held me up and you know it, it taught us to be respectful. And you know the neighbor was talking to me and she was giving me some mail that she accidentally received in her mailbox. Mm-hmm. So when I made it in. I was one minute late. And so when I was reaching the mail and trying to explain to them what, what was happening, you know, it was like, oh, you punished, you punished for a month. And I felt, you know, that it was unfair. That, you know, no one, I'm not, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm giving you the mail. The neighbor is right there. You can ask her the last 10, 15 minutes, you know, I was in her home while she was looking for the mail. And I, if, could I have done something better at the time? Maybe well, I could have said, hold up, let me let them know where I'm at. But again, I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, I'm being respectful. I'm waiting on this mail. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, I got to get out of here. You know, I'm gone. I don't want to be here. So I kind of, I ran away. I left. Mm-hmm. And I slept, you know, in the abandoned buildings, on um, parks, and, you know, wherever I could because 
it was a dark moment for me, a lost moment for me, you know, and mm, I didn't know what to do. I had family that I could have went to. I don't know why I didn't go, but as I get older, I say that it was things that God wanted me to go through to reach out to me at that moment, you know, mm-hmm. because I could have called my aunt and said, hey, you know, this would happen, this is going on, but I didn't for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I stood in the streets for at least six to seven months. Wow. Before I met the guy that I was um, telling you about. Wow. So while you were um, sleeping in parks for like six months, you were in school, right? Yes. So how did you so manage my that? Uncle, yeah. my, my uncle allowed me to come. Like my grandparents go to work. My uncle opened the door and said, hey, come in, shower, brush your teeth, grab something to eat. You know, or I'll go to the window and throw a rock up there. He'll get, give me a bag of food and you know, throw it out the window if I was hungry or something. You know, or I change and I throw my clothes up to him. He'll wash and throw them back down. And I go out to my friends because, you know, they weren't in no better. Again, we was in the projects. Their, their situation wasn't no better because they had, you know, homes that wasn't as clean because their family did drugs and used drugs. And I didn't want to be in that environment neither. So I would probably mm-hmm. go there to, you know, take a bath and change. And then I'm like, okay, I'm, I think I'm better off, you know, on this bench. Uh, uh, in this abandoned building, you know, every so often I I probably spent the night at somebody else's house, but it made me feel uncomfortable and I felt, you know, weird, like going from here to there to there, you know, these different places where I need to, fi- I need to figure out who I was. And like I said, I met the guy that I started dating that I ended up getting pregnant for, you know, um, his mom was cool in the beginning, you know, she was like, okay, let's go out and eat. You know, I hid my homelessness from him. You know, I had the baby. My grandmother wouldn't allow me to come back in, you know, for whatever reason. Like, I never disrespected her. Mm-hmm. But if anything, I, I wrote in my diary that she probably read, uh, you know, whenever she wanted to. But I left it there. But I wanted to be hers, you know. So I made sure we were respectful to try to get my feelings out. And then, you know, they, they ended up calling the police and taking the kids from me because of my age and because I was not stable. And so that was cool for me. But then they held my child away from me. Like, when mm-hmm. I come to knock on door and visit, you're like, oh, get rid of my door before I call the police. So now not only did I have this child looking for somebody to love me back, they took that from me as well. And that's where I kind of, you know, lost a little respect. I understand that I was homeless. You try to help me, you know, by taking my kid in. You didn't want to be bothered with me. Fine. I'm cool with that. But when it came down for me to see my baby, you know, at two, three months, I couldn't. You know, because they, they called the police and they had to cuss the papers and everything they had. So basically, they, they, they took that opportunity for me to even come over and sit an hour or two, you know, and be a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything that you held on to kind of just keep you going? Was there any words of encouragement towards yourself? Just anything that you just you held on to to kind of just make it through the next day? Guys, you know, at the time, I didn't know too much about God, but I knew there was a guy, you know, at that age from going to church and also from my my experience. Like, I, like living on the street, I realized that I wasn't the only one at that age living on the street. You know, I was seeing, like, some of my friends, you know, they was out with their little brother, like, his stepfather was raping them, so they was running away. I'm like, and I'm like, wow, you know, so, you know, it was like an eye-opener to see that, you know, it wasn't just me going through things at my age. Mm-hmm. There were people that I would never have known, you know, was being molested and 
rape and even as, you know, a little brother at eight and nine, I'll never forget that. You know, when I see him in the daytime, it was like smiling and, you know, we playing, we happy. But then once I hit the street life, I started seeing different people. Like, what are you doing out here? Oh, I ran away this and that. Oh, this and that. Or, 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 or my stepdad molested me. I also ran to a guy, you know, who was like, oh, well, my mom keep beating me, you know, and this and I have bruises here. So, you know, we, we, we eventually became a little homeless group. Wow. You know, for a period of time. It was like maybe four or five of us, you know, every night that we would get together and find somewhere to sleep and, you know, talk and try to laugh, you know, things out. Again, we was kids. We didn't really know the severity of being homeless. You know, we were mm-hmm. scared at times. But, you know, we were like, I, you know, I feel like I'm in a better situation where people understand me now than, you know, people being uptight and not allowing me to express myself, share my thoughts, or give any kind of feedback on anything dealing with my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I shared my food and things with them, you know, because I think I probably was the oldest five years so I became protective of them and, you know, and gave them some advice, you know, like, you know, your stepdad try to, you know, touch you, pick up something, you know. I'm like, you know, tell your mom, your mom now listen, call the police. So I, you know, it's like I became a leader of this okay. Wow. So in the midst of this, you end up meeting basically a community, it sounds like. You met a community of people who were kind of going through their own, you know, crises or situations, and you guys just kind of came together to support each other. Would you say that was a major impact for you to kind of push through through all of this, like you had support? Yeah, it was, it was helpful. You know, but yes. I, I, I personally have a big heart, so I sympathize with them more than I sympathize with myself. So to me, it was like, oh, wow, I can't believe they're going through this. And I wasn't realizing that, hey, you got through it too. Wow. Wow. So uh, as you mentioned that word leader, so moving forward from all of this, um, I remember you mentioned that you at one point became a mentor. Is that correct? Yes. So, okay, we're going back off. So after my mom passed away, um, I, I moved in area but before she before she passed you know um she came home from jail you know i visited my mom uh a few times and i met this, this guy who i say was on a different side of the town and you know we we talked and we began dating and i started spending nights with my mom and between my mom's house and his house you know and um from there after my, my mom passed it became a, a big domestic situation so i i was allowed to become emancipated and take over that project that my mom had mm-hmm. and um, live on my own. So he eventually, you know, young, dumb, he eventually moved in with me and the violence became worse. You know? So even though I'm like, this is where, you know, I'm the head of the household at, you know, and you still, you know, harming me. So when I did call the police, even though he wasn't on the lease, they would just come and say, hey, take a walk and leave. And then you know, I'm like, you know, you can't come back, take your stuff here, take it. And then next thing I'm asleep, he kicked the door in. He comes through the window. So, you know, even there, I, I, I couldn't, I wasn't safe from the the domestic violence because it was no protection. And back then, you know, cause I'm 40 now. Back then it wasn't no, um, no severity or no real criminal 
offense is like your head. It's a domestic violence situation. You get arrested, you get fired. Now that the police arrest them, you know, most most time, you know, by being the project, most of them were cool with everybody. So they was like, hey, take a walk, you know, leave her alone, take your stuff and go. You know, so he'll take his stuff and go in front of the police, like, okay, I'm not going by, I'm moving on. But then took me days later, he have a gun. You know, I'm asleep one night, I, I look over, I see a red light going across my eyes. So he had the, the infrared light, light that's what I'm saying it right, you know, my eyes, like, I'm going to kill you. And that's when I'm oh like, my. you know what, this is too much for me. Wow, wow. So, again, kind of thankful that my grandmother did take my daughter in, just regretful that, you know, she held her away for so long when mm-hmm. I couldn't even go and visit. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, sounds like a lot of hurt and just resentment from that situation oh, yeah. and just <laughs> honestly a lot of, of traumatic events, trauma that you went through and um, which is why, you I'm know. I'm trying to keep it short. <laughs> oh, no, I completely. It's a story, it's a long story. I, and I, I completely understand and I'm grateful it's that you're. Point. <laughs> I under, I understand and I appreciate you um, going into detail about these stories and I brought up the mentoring thing because I was um, was wondering like how did you transition from that to wanting to become this leader and kind of lead other people in the situation that they were in out of their you know their dark path how did that become I think it's it, it just my heart I have a big heart you know I do a lot of you know community projects now. You know, now, and I always did once I got myself straight because, again, you know, experiencing that taught me that everybody who smiles, you know, it could be fraudulent. You know, sometimes you wear a mask because I wore a mask, you know, and I didn't know how to tell people because people would make fun of you and laugh at you and criticize, so I didn't know how to deal with, you know, the buzz behind my back at the time. So then, um... After two years of college, I went back home to my old school. I became a substitute teacher at a middle school in a poverty area. And a lot of kids used to tell me how they didn't eat and, you know, what they were going through. So I eventually took some kids in, like, oh, mom put me out. And I'm like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. But here, you can spend some nights by my house. You know, I don't want you to go in the street. You know, so I talked to mom and see how we can work this out. And that led me to start my own youth group where I had over, like, maybe 60 or 70 kids that came over every Saturday. And um, me and my cousins, you know, we, we, we mentored them for like two hours and we engaged them in some kind of uh, activities like kickball, volleyball. We were able to get some donations to get a bus that took them on a field trip every other Saturday. So we raised money and sold raffles and suppers and whatever we could do to get those kids, you know, a better understanding of life because I can, I can say that you know you, you don't want to damage your own child you know you don't want to damage you know a child period whether it's yours your grandchild your your niece you know whatever you don't want to you know cause damage to someone at an early age because once they get older it's a lot of things that you go through in life betrayal and everything else you know even when I got married and I married at 21 that was great he was awesome. But he was a cheater, you know, he, he had a affair with my best friend. So it was so much I went through, you know. So this person that was real close to me ended up, you know, dealing with my first husband. And, again, that's definitely hurtful because when your husband get mad and your boyfriend, you call your best friend, y'all supposed to laugh and talk about it. And when your best friend and you have an argument, you talk to your mate about it. Mm-hmm. But in this case here, I'm like, what in the world is going on? You know, I never knew. 
uh, Jerry Springer and Ricky Lake was just real. <laughs> you know, so they hit home with me. Oh, and man. So, you know, I, 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 I was volatile. You know, I, I, <laughs> you know I, I got physical with him and I got physical with her. You know, and because it hurted me, you know, like now I'm, you know, my mom deceased. I don't have that person to confide in because I thought it was my husband. And all the while, you know, two behind my back, you know, doing your own little thing. That hurted me because, again, I was a giver. You know, my best friend didn't work. You know, I was coming in her door like, here go $40 for your kids. Here go two boxes of pampers, you know, making sure she was straight. So I never imagined that the people that you helped would end up hurting you. Isn't that amazing how life works that way? The closest ones to us always are the, the ones, ones that, at home. Yeah. I, I, I did stay in my marriage because his mom took us to counseling, and, you know, and we were able to move forward for like maybe 10 or 11 years. No no form of violence there from him. I did get a little violence towards him, you know, at points because I couldn't bear it the fact that, you know, you slept with my best friend. You know, I'm like, I'm trying to forget that, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after maybe 11 years, you know, um, we divorced because of that. I couldn't let it go. But he did encourage me to get in school and get my degrees. You know, he was a he was a, a good man for as a provider. But was, he wasn't a good man as it related to loyalty because even after my best friend and other females, they were calling my phone. So I'm like, how can I get over this, you know? And, you know, you're trying to darn it. And I was thinking that, okay, well, he's changing the number. You know, he's still here with me. You know, here's the love I've been waiting for. But then I had to realize that they have things out here. They have diseases. They have AIDS. Like, you know, I don't know, you know, when you're cheating, who you're cheating with. It's protecting yourself or what's going on. So the best thing was to say, love Shawanda. Get mm-hmm. out of it. Pick yourself up. And let's go. So I think after that hurt is where I was able to redeem myself. You know, um, my ex-husband and I became best friends. You know, as we got older, you know, you know, we still did a few dinner dates and movie dates, but we never tried to um, reconcile our marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I wouldn't, he, he did listen to me. You know, and I told him, like, you know, how I feel. I've been hurt all my life. You know, my life's full of pain. I wasn't expecting you to be another lesson in my life. But I hey, I guess, you know, life has its own way of, you know, making you stronger. So I'm like, you know, God didn't put me through nothing that I didn't need to go through. So, you know, I went through it. It hurt it. It was painful, but I never lost my faith in God. You know, each lesson made me become stronger, you know, you know, in my relationship with God, you know, uh, so to speak. So I don't regret anything I went through. It's, it's painful at times when I think back. But the most important thing is looking forward to saying mm-hmm. that you know, there are people that can't wear my shoes, that can come out the same way. So there's something unique about me that God has over my life to where I went through all this and it didn't break me. Mm-hmm. It kind of bent me, but it didn't break me. Now, do I understand it all? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. But I can say that um, to people that are listening, domestic violence is not worth it. You know, it shouldn't be hidden. You know, it's not love. Cheating is not love. You know, we shouldn't have to settle for what people do to us and say sorry because, no, you know, if you love me, you know, you will never have to say sorry. You know, so those are things that, you know, I I realized and it made me become a better person because I have a big heart. And people always like, your heart is what people see and they're attracted to, you know, you being a giver and a lover and, you know, they're not ready 
to reciprocate that to you, reciprocate that to you. They, they just want to take it and take it and abuse it and use it. So, you know, again, I'm like, I'm writing a book on my life story coming soon. Awesome. <laughs> but it's a lot. You know, I want, it's a lot I want to share with people to mm-hmm. let them know that, you know, it's okay to fall, you know, just get picked up. Of course, yes. Um, you, you were, I'm so grateful that you shared all those things. Because you actually, as you were talking, I'm like, okay, she answered that question. She answered that question. <laughs> you were just picking <laughs> off my questions. Awesome. But, um, I just wanted to go back and just, um, you know, commend you for being authentic about, you know, your relationship and how you take ownership for, you know, um, partaking in some abuse yourself. Because that's that's hard for to go back and, you know, really be authentic and address that. You know, sometimes, you know, I was that person in the situation that wasn't helping the situation. So I appreciate that you were authentic about that and sharing that. And um, I just want to go back and say, that is awesome that you created your own mentor youth group. You said 60 to 7 children that you mentored. I want you to go in yeah. more detail about that. Like how how was that? How did that feel? It, it felt awesome and then it became overwhelming because, again, you know, until you step out and do something, you never know how many people are in need. Mm-hmm. Like I started with um, when I was substituting. I started with the kids in my class, like, hey, you know, you want to do something this Saturday? You know, like, um, I had some extra funds. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, rent this bus, go bowling, you know, do something on the weekend. You know, cause a lot of kids' parents went on their own drugs, and, you know, they, they, they revealed some things to me about, you know, again, being abused, being molested, and, you know, and I wanted to comfort them because, again, I've been through it. You know, like, okay, no, you know, in the classroom might be me. Like, oh, no, we're not about to run over me. But, you know, <laughs> outside the classroom, you know, I can be that mentor to give you more loving and more guidance, to hear you out, to let you be wrong and correct you right. But in my classroom, it was, you know, when I sat in those classrooms, it was about educating you. So um, I can still remember um, I, I stood across from a park, across the street from a park, me and my, um, my ex-husband, and he had a, a, a older lady came with four kids, and she's like, hey, what's going on over here? And I'm like, oh, you know, well, this is where I'm going. Because that's how I did up the youth group. I said, well, are you some kids in my class? You know, um, I get them on a, on Saturday. I'm going to take them bowling this week. And blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, well, you know, my daughter's in jail. You know, I'm old. I, I don't know do these kids. You know, is it okay to join? So I didn't have no farm. I had no proper way of handling this. And my heart was like, sure. <laughs> what wow. do you live so I can make sure that, you know, they get home when it's over. It's like, please, because it's disrespectful to me. They talk back to me, and, you know, and so forth and so on. I'm like, oh, wow. So I took those in. And I, every Saturday, I started seeing more parents walking, like, oh, I work on a Saturday. I don't have a babysitter. You know, my, my baby is eight or seven, because I wasn't going that low at first. I had, like, 10, 11, and 12. You know, is there any way possible, please, that, you know, I'll be able to join this group. This will mean so much for me. It'll help me save on some money. You know, so I'm like, okay, so now I have two groups. I have a little group and I have a teenage group. So I was able to get with the newspaper out there and put an article out, you know, in New Orleans. And the state is sponsoring my organization. And that's where they taught me how to put everything in, in place. Like, okay, you're going to need a, a LLC. You're going to need a, a, um, a profit. You know, I mean, a non-profit LLC. If you need a non-profit, you're going to need paperwork on these shows. You're going to need parent permissions, you know, trips <laughs> and all this here. So I, you know, I went back and I got all that in place, and, you know, they, they paid for the bus, they paid for the field trip, they provided food, so I had a lot of media attention on it, and the motor media gave attention to the motor group, group. So up until Katrina, you know, it was rolling. I, I, I was trying to get into a facility, 
because my home wasn't large enough. The two bedroom wasn't large enough to have seventy some people in there. Right. Y'all with chairs and put a pole in there and and break them down in sessions with other family members that were adults. Like you get these ten, you get those ten heads for guide mentors. You take them on the football field, you know. So we we were able to make it work. So it lasted for two years before Katrina wow. came. I was going to ask that. How were the, the kids? Like, how what's their stories? Like, have they accomplished a lot? You said you still talk to them. Yeah, like, most of them on my Facebook page, they came from me. And they're like, oh, hey, Mr. Wines. I'm like, hey. And they're like, you remember me? I'm like, of course. You Aww. know, I still have pictures that I was able to save, and I show the pictures with them. And many of them are doing good. Now, I don't, I'm not in touch with all of them, mm-hmm. but, like, maybe 40 to 50% of them, you know, uh, I'm still in contact with, and we talk, and we laugh, and, you know, before I moved out here to Georgia, you know, I met up with them, you know, took them to a dinner or lunch, you know, like three at a time, just to catch up on their life to see, you know, how impactful was I. Because I always said before I die, I want to be known. I don't want to just die like, okay, I lived and I didn't impact no one's life. Wow. But I want to be impactful. So, you know, that's my, my goal. Well, well, you most certainly have accomplished it. Like, what a testimony to, you know, arise from the things that you went through yourself and then just to pour your heart out into the community and give back. Like, I'm just like in awe that you did that. Like, that's just amazing and that you just built that program from the ground up out of nothing. Yeah. And, you know, and I think about people now who are trying to build their businesses and, like, we might be making it more difficult than we have to. And all we, all you have to bring is just, you know, your compassion, your heart into it. And that's definitely and what yeah. you did. Mm-hmm. And that's how they find me to start, like, royal personal services. Like, I, you know, I did a, the little um, bundle with the journal and the um, the actual guidebook. You know, I used um, spiritual as, um, inspiration in there and resources to try to tell people, you know, what God has for you is already in store. We don't have to create anything. We don't have to be lost and searching for it. We just got to trust God and allow him to lead us. So, you know, I'm like, I'm still being led, you know, like I, I just received um, my letter on yesterday and I couldn't celebrate it. I'm just being honest. Like they told me, like, hey, you're finished. You're officially Dr. Moore, you know, like, oh, you're out of school. I'm like, what I'm going to do? You know, school helped me cope. And then again, like by me having a lifestyle I had, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to celebrate it. Nine out of ten is going to be swept under the rug because I'm not used to being celebrated. You know, that's, that's mm-hmm. something that, that never, you know, was was uh, it, it was something I never overcame. Right? I had a group of people that just get excited for me. You know, I you know I I never experienced that outside of people like you know social media. Like, oh girl, you know, congratulations. I'm like, yeah, sure. But then inside, you still got that loneliness. But I give it to God and I pray. Like, maybe I'm not celebrating today. Maybe one day I might celebrate it two years from now. I don't know. The whole point is that I got it done. <laughs> right. That's awesome. And definitely take time to celebrate. Take time to just enjoy and just reflect. It's on just life. hard knowing, like, mom, I'm not here to see you. My dad's not here to see you. You know, yeah. my grandparents are not here to see you. You know, it's just so many losses. You know, some of my best friends, then, you know, didn't, I'm like, I, it's just hard to celebrate, even though I know I have to eventually, you know, do something, a small celebration, you know, all those things that will keep my depression going now. So, you know, that's why I say I still suffer from depression. And um, a bit of anxiety, you know. Mm-hmm. So just to go back a little bit to catch the audience up to speed, because I don't think I asked you, and that was my fault. But um, so you are from New Orleans, so that's you mentioned Hurricane Katrina. So I just wanted the audience to know that you are from New Orleans, and that's why you referenced that. So during that yeah. time that was going on when you were 
you know, uh, setting up your mentor program. So you've got your, your uh, PhD, now you're, you've got your own business. Can you talk a little bit more about what your business is and what you, the services you provide? Okay, well, my business is just uh, an eye-opener, again, for people to use these skills and talents. I coined that term, skills and talents matter, because, again, I, I feel that God, you know, gave each of us something unique during our birth. You know, I tell people that, you know, my biggest thing, you know, I'm not a fan-based person. You know, I, I like the music, I like you as a person, but I'm not a fan-based person because I feel like, hey, that's Beyonce, yeah, that's Jay-Z, okay, hey, I can identify Sierra, that's Reggie Bush, that's Drew Brees. But I'm like, how is it that God created us all and I can identify them, but they can't identify me? Hmm. So that means that it's something in me that I'm not pushing out that God gave me as well. So my business, you know, I, I teach people to dig deep inside themselves because those celebrities were once nobody. They, many of them said they was homeless, you know, so you can't say they came from wealth. Some of them tell you how, you know, they were abused and how they were molested and they overcame these things and they also became great. So greatness is within all of us. So my business is, you know, basically like a, an educated uh, system to encourage people to tap into yourself, you know, tap into who you are, you know, look at what God gave you, sharpen those skills, work on those skills, because football players ain't just come out the room to be football players. They were athletic. They had the ability. They worked on that. They trained for that. You know, singers, they, they practiced. So we got to stop sitting around thinking that, oh, well, hey, I can cook, so I'm going to be the next. No, you have to practice and work on it, set goals, accomplish goals, and have a better understanding of what you're moving forward, you know, mm-hmm. too. And understand that some things are going to pull you down, but you got to get back up and keep going. So I want to see everybody win. That's my thing. I believe that we all can win. No matter what color you are, your gender, we all can win. Of course. I love that. <laughs> Awesome. So kind of just to end, I'm great. I'm so grateful that you share this. This was a really great conversation. Um, to kind of wrap up, um, I want to I always ask uh, my audience, well, not the audience, but my guests, excuse me, um, what are some self-care things in their toolbox? But I'm going to actually switch it up, and I'm not going to ask you what your self-care tools are. I'm going to tell you what I suggest that your self-care be, and I think that is you need to celebrate yourself sometimes because <laughs> you give so much, right. pour yeah, so much. <laughs> you pour so I much agree. out of you, and I think you've accomplished so much, Miss Shawanda or Dr. Shawanda, and I think you deserve to just celebrate those wins. Um, you, you deserve it. Like, I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> you've done so much. I just want to say one more thing. I, I, I recently became a blogger. You know, I blogged, and my first blog was on skills and skills matter. And cool. my second one was about support. You know, I'm like, you know, one thing I see, and my business is that I don't receive the support that I need. You know, I have a message. I have a story. But, you know, it's like it's hard to get people to buy into you because people are so focused on celebrating celebrities that already made it, uh, mm-hmm. people, businesses that are popping, you know, versus to say, hey, let's support each other again and we all can get there. So, you know, to everyone that's listening, you know, please do me a favor. Follow my business page. I'm on Instagram. It's royal underscore products underscore services. That will mean the world to me. You don't have to buy anything from me. Just to be able to hear my message and see, you know, how God has blessed me. Because, again, I came from nothing. 
to something and my greatness is still growing. And I want to help. Everything in by the dollar, you know, you can feel free to inbox me, ask me a question. You know, I'm not always uptight about, oh, you're going to pay me. You know, I feel like if God gave it to me, it's meant to be shared. Awesome. That was beautifully said. And you wrapped that up so perfectly because I was going to ask, where can our audience find you? So thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for that. And thank you again for sharing your story with us. And I thank pray you that you continue to succeed in your business and all your dreams, all your goals that you've set for the new year come to fruition. So thank you and God bless. You're welcome. Have a good night. Same to you. Bye. You too.